All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what's true and make us realize what's wrong with our lives. It straightens us out and it teaches us to do what is right. It's God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. Have you ever received something, maybe even a blessing from God that you thought was fantastic and it turned into a curse? That's it's a hard question to Okay, let me think for a second. Let me think for a second. You know that that uh, a lot of people want to win the lottery. Um, I've never played the lottery. I guess you have to buy a ticket to play. But um, but lo- you know that there are statistics that show that that seventy percent of people who win significant amount of money in the lottery lose it within a two year period. Just gone. And not just that happens. Um, you know, easy come, easy go. But the, from a, a book or an article that was written called Life Lessons from the Lottery, uh, this man says that some people commit suicide, people run through their money, easy come, easy go, they go through divorce, people die. He outlines all these things that if we could only have what we want, everything's going to be great. And it's not true. Because the one thing, the one thing that we all need is the love of God. See, we were created by God for God. We were created in His image to reflect His glory. And in the original, in the original story of, of God creating mankind, man and woman, right there, God wanted to have a relationship. He wanted us to experience what it's like to be with our Creator. That's the deepest longing of every heart. And so we look for substitutes when we don't latch on to that one perfect good idea. And, and so people long for money or they substitute other things food, relationships, you name it. There are all kinds of things that people do to try and get the love that they need. Because it is a need. God created that void in us to be able to have that relationship that would be, be, would be drawn to Him in the first place. So we, we come to um, the point here in Judges where we see this battle going on, of course, between God and man trying to find his own place in the world. Uh, we know that in Judges, there, there is a theme that happens, and that is that everybody tends to want to do their own thing. We've seen that. And that, that idea just takes people in all kinds of weird directions, mostly farther and farther and farther away from God. And so God, in his love and kindness and compassion, raises up some people to intentionally try to bring people back to where they feel they need God, and they're drawn back to him. But in Judges, we see that, that even the judges are becoming more and more jaded and imperfect and sinful. 
And so we come to this, this judge that everybody knows. Uh, there have been movies made about him. Samson. Everybody knows Samson, right? We think of Samson, we think, big guy, uh, lots of muscles, good looking, all the, all the attributes that, uh, you know, most guys we kind of long for, you know. I didn't get any of those. But uh, uh, so, you know, big, good looking, strong, uh, in, in control, lot, lots of power, always wins every fight. And so here we have Samson. And uh, at this point, it, we, we realize that Samson has already killed over a thousand Philistines. Now, let, now let's review just a second. The reason that God raised up Samson is because he knew he needed someone to create a scenario where the Israelites would seek God again because they had become very comfortable under the Philistine rule. They were worshiping right along the Philistines, their, their false gods and everything else. It, it had be, been, become comfortable for them to live in sin. And so God says, I'm going to raise up someone because remember, this Samson was the first judge that they didn't cry out for. They were just fine. And God creates Sam, Samson to be the person who will cause so much disruption and chaos with the Philistines that the people of Israel would finally want a savior, finally want someone to, to, to fight back against the Philistines so that, that God would help them get out of this situation. So, so that's kind of a little bit of the background. But now we're going to go to, to uh, see what happens when there is an abuse of the power that God gives someone. So Samson here, chapter 16, verse 1. One day, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza. Now, that's important because Gaza was the capital city. This isn't just any side city. This, this is the center of where everything happens. Everything big happens. So Samson had gotten so full of himself that he is going to now waltz into the capital city and do his thing. Okay, so he spends the night there with a prostitute. Word soon spread that Samson was there. So the men of Gaza gathered together and waited all night uh, at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, When the light comes in the morning, we'll kill him. But Samson stayed in bed only until midnight. And then he got up. He took hold of, uh, of the doors of the town gate, including the two posts, and lifted them up, bar and all, And he put them on his shoulders and carried them all the way to the top of the hill across from Hebron, which, by the way, was 40 miles away. Okay? All Scripture is inspired by God, right? Yeah, it teaches us something. What does it teach us? Well, here is Samson, again, facing off the Philistines. He is flaunting his power that God gave him goes right into the teeth of the lion, if you will, and says, go ahead, just try it. Just try it. I, I'm here. I'm powerful. And so he goes there. First of all, he's drawn by what? A little bit by just ego, thinking I can walk right into the middle of chaos and I'm going to win. Nobody's going to take me out. So he's got this overconfidence happening in his, in his mind. 
And, and he's drawn also by his sexual addiction. We see that he is just drawn to women. And we'll see how that plays out in just a little bit, right? But it's interesting. I think what we're learning here is that even though adversity can be hard on us spiritually, I think sometimes uh, it's not adversity that that really draws us away from God. Have you ever had a hard time in your life? You've been a little broken. Maybe you've lost a relationship. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've encountered some health crisis. You've lost a loved one. At those moments, we find ourselves moving closer and closer and closer to God, right? Because of our need. So adversity can be a very, very good thing that draws us to God. While prosperity, on the other hand, has proven to be the one thing that that pushes us away from God, if you will. Or just we wander away from God because we think everything's cool. We don't need God until we need God, right? Until things get really, really bad, then it's like, okay, at last resort, I guess it's finally time to get on the phone and call the guy you can help. And so we see why the Bible says it's hard for rich people to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not impossible, but it's hard. Why? Because rich people tend to become very self-sufficient. And maybe they, they, their ego rises a little bit because they think that was really because of their talent, their ability, their intelligence, whatever it was that got them that money to be able to be independent. And so sometimes we have to realize that success uh, is even harder when it becomes uh, a test for us and our relationship with God. A Puritan minister, this is years ago, John Flavel, he said this, Outward gains are ordinarily attended with inward losses. Inward gains, uh, like, like growth in humility, self-control, wisdom, are ordinarily attached to outward losses of our finances, careers, relationships, and sometimes even our failings. Um, it, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Some of the difficulties that we have are the things that create character in us, the kind create us to be the, the kind of people that God actually wants us to be. And sometimes the prosperity, the, the blessings that we seek after so hard are sometimes the things that take us away from God. In Romans 1, Paul says, the worst thing that God can do for us is to give us over to our own desires. It says this, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. He's talking about the pagans, those people who, who just, they don't, they don't need God, they don't want God. And he, God says, great, I'll let you have what you want. So be careful what you pray for, right? Pray for money. You pray for relationships. You pray for, for a good job. All these things. Our, our society today is designed to help us do that. You realize that? The American dream we go to school so we can learn things, so we can get a good job, so we can get lots of money, so we can buy a nice house and a car and a boat and go on cruises and do things. Why? So we can feel happy. So we can attract other people to ourselves. So we feel what? We feel loved and accepted. 
And it, it's fine to be loved and accepted by other people. We are called to love other people, right? But what is the one thing that is really going to satisfy your soul? It's the love of God. It's the love of your Creator. And so we need to be careful, be very cautious about what we want, what we run after, what we work so hard for to satisfy us, to give us this good life so we can retire and rest and just have it nice, right? And it doesn't do the job. It doesn't really satisfy. And so we come back to the story here. We need to remember that personal achievement and success uh, can feed into Satan's lie that we can be great without God. And this is where, where Samson is. Uh, now, Samson also had a problem of uh, love, <laughs> okay? Uh, he, he loved women, and it shows. He, he even slept with a prostitute, right, just to satisfy himself. But then it said in verse 4, look at verse 4. Sometime later, Samson fell in love, Okay? He fell in love with a woman named Delilah. Now, Delilah just happened not to be an Israelite. She was a Philistine, okay? She was a Philistine, and she was beautiful. She lived in the valley of Sorek, and the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,000 pieces of silver. Now, Delilah must have been well-known. The leaders had found out that Samson was hooking up with her, and they go to her, and just think what's going on through in Delilah's mind, right? Why, why is this relationship going to be good for her, benefit her? Well, number one, I mean, her name is going to get out. She's going to be famous, literally, right? And she's going to be rich. That's a lot of money in those days. And so here now, if she can convince Samson to reveal his secret, this magical thing that makes him strong, right? She's going to be a national heroine, right? I mean, maybe she'll have a mural of her splattered on the, on the wall or something like that. Or maybe, a, maybe she'll have a, a, a big statue made for her, right? I mean, she's going to be the woman. And so she engages with Samson. Now, so Delilah says to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. Now, don't go kinky, okay, on this. Don't go there. This is all about her trying to figure out, trying to find out what is it that causes him to be so strong and what's going to break that power, right? So they can over overpower him and then they can be in charge again well he says if i were tied up with seven new bowstrings that have not yet been dried i would become as weak as anyone else you think that's it of course not so she then gets the new bowstring she ties them up and then what what does she do she says hey you know uh she she yells the the philistines are here and what happens right um See, he just snaps those bowstrings like a piece of string snaps when it's burned by a fire. That's pretty easy, right? 
So the secret of his strength was not discovered. And it says, afterward, Delilah says to him, now wait, 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 right there. Samson is still with Delilah? You get this? Are you tracking? So he's with this beautiful girl, and she tries to trick him to reveal his secret. Now, he kind of figures that out. He's no dope, right? And so, you know, he snaps the strings and stuff. And then it's like, he's still with her. Well, she's got to be like, smoking hot, right? (laughs) Or something else going on there, right? But he stays. Maybe it's just his ego. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's hanging around because he's hooked on danger, kind of a natural high for him. I mean, after all, he walks into the center, the capital city, and does his thing there, just boldly out in the middle of everybody. And now he's with Delilah, and now it's a game for him. It's just a game. And so this game goes on, right? This game goes on. So Delilah... She tries again. She's motivated. She, she wants the money. She wants the fame. So she says to, to Samson, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now, please tell me how you can be tied up securely. And Samson says, well, if I was tied up with brand new ropes that had never been used, I would become as weak as anyone else. Do you think that's it? Well, of course not, right? So she ties him up as before. Delilah cries out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But again, Samson snaps the ropes, right? And uh, then she goes on. She says, uh, uh, you've been making fun of me again and, and, and telling me lies. Now tell me how you can be tied up securely. And it goes again. If I, you were to weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric on, on your loom and then tighten the, the, them with a loom shuttle, I would become as weak as anyone else. Now, seven braids? Is this like, you know, the first, first uh, I guess, uh, uh, dreads? Is that okay? Forget it. Okay. Okay, so she does this. She, she does this. And then uh, again, she screams and, and says, the Philistines are here to capture you. But Samson wakes up. And uh, pulls back the loom shuttle, yanks his hair away, and everything else. And then Delilah pouts. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? Now, she's going full bore, okay? She's going all in. And here's what happens next. So, women, this is, this is the secret to get people, to get your husbands and, and your, your boyfriends to tell you what, what you need to know, right? She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. All right? Okay? I'm not going to ask men to raise their hands if they've ever been met nagged. Okay? You keep, keep them down, guys. Keep them down. All right? Okay. So what's, what's the point? So what's the point? Samson and Delilah are an extreme case of using each other. Their relationship is not based on mutual love. Their relationship is based on what they can get from one another. And this is where most relationships go south. It's about what you can do for me, what you can provide for me. 
It's just a, it's a little wake-up call for all of us. That this relationship, based on greed, based on ego, um, based on sex, based on anything that I want, I think I need, instead of I'm here because true love wants the best for the other person. True love is self-sacrificing. It's there for the other person. And in the giving, you receive. But Samson and Delilah are the quintessential couple of just taking from each other. Just wanting that person there to get what they need. And isn't that just opposite of what God wants for us? And also, it's just totally opposite of the way Jesus loves. Jesus came, why? To sacrifice himself to give us what we couldn't get on our own. He gave us his very life. If, if you want to have a good marriage, it, it's built around sacrificial love. Not getting what you want but giving what the other person needs. And if you are both giving, you're both getting, right? So it's a mutual submission. It's a mutual giving. It's a mutual sacrifice that we long for and that will make us, make us whole as a couple. So C.S. Lewis says this. He says, you cannot love a fellow creature fully Till you love God. In other words, unless you have a loving relationship with God that fills your deepest need for acceptance and value, all the times you say, I love you to someone else, to others will really mean, I need you to make me feel worth something. Until we find our satisfaction in loving relationship with God, we are at risk of becoming users instead of genuinely loving one another. You see, where you are really going to get the power, like Samson had power, where you're going to get the power to love like Jesus loves is in your relationship with God. If you're drawing that love from God, then you will have the strength to be able to sacrifice for others in your family your husband, your wife, your children, your parents. God will give you that reserve. God will give you that power. Why? Because the power is being used in the right way. But so many times we want power from God because we want it for our benefit. To show ourselves to be good, to show ourselves to be important, to show ourselves to be special. To why? To get attention and love from other people. Instead, God wants you to realize that you are loved. You are deeply loved. And in God, you have all the love you will ever need. And that love will supply all the power, all of the energy that you need to love others the way God loves you. Now, what did Jesus say? All the commandments all the rules and regulations of the Bible of how to live and how to relate and, and how to view life are all wrapped up in two things. And the first one is what? 
love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And then the second is like it. It's love others. Love others, right? And so then we see that this is the way we're supposed to live. And Samson and Delilah are exactly 180 degrees the opposite. Now, when you choose not to love and live the way God created you to live and love, there is no power. There is no power. There's a lack of power. Verse 17 says, Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut. He confessed, for I, and, and here, underline this word if you, in your Bible, I was dedicated. And we think, I was dedicated. It's, it's like, it's a past event. But you know, for Samson, it's not a present reality. How many times have you known someone who, I went to Sunday school as a kid, Matter of fact, I was baptized when I was 12. And then they left the church. And then they left Jesus. I was dedicated. We know people like that, right? Some of them may be in our own families. Some of them may be us. When we had our time of the, when we were far away from God. We'd been dedicated, but we stopped being dedicated. And I don't know where you are today, but, you know, um, I've, I've lived a life, I think, that is kind of, um, kind of in phase and out of phase, <laughs> if you will. You know, sometimes you, you feel like you're really close to God, and sometimes you're, you're just not. Sometimes you feel super dedicated to God, and other times you just feel you're dedicated to yourself and your own agenda, Right? You get overwhelmed with life. And suddenly you're scrambling to try and figure life out and, and, and get, your, get back on your feet and you're trying to do it on your own power. And you're just failing miserably. Well, if you're there today, I, I want you to know that there's, there's an answer. There's, there's a, a source of power that you can tap into again. Not for your own benefit, but to bring you back to that place to where you know God is with you. And God deeply loves you. And God wants you to find deep satisfaction in Him. So that your power, just for living and loving other people the way God loves you, can be restored. And we'll see a little bit more about that next week. But for now... Samson makes a, a statement that I don't think that he even realizes is true. He was dedita- dedicated to God from birth. And he said, if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become weak as anyone else. So Delilah realized he'd finally told her the truth. So she sends for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for it's finally, he's finally told me the secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. And Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head on her lap. And then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. And, and, and uh, in this way, she began to bring him down. And his strength left him. See, when we put 
our faith, our trust in something other than a relationship with God, our strength will leave us. When we think we're strong, we're not. So it's gone. It's gone. His strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And when he woke up, he thought, I'll do as before and and shake myself free. But he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. That's one of the saddest phrases in the Bible. He didn't realize the Lord had left him. Suddenly we, we, we realize, where is God? I mean, there was a point in my life when I had that experience. When you, you start just getting, getting off track and you realize suddenly, how in the world did I get here? What did I do? And I, I, I hadn't realized that I had been on the wrong path. I'd been, been so enmeshed in my own agenda, my own ideas, becoming famous, becoming this, becoming that, seeking after money, seeking after relationship. And, and, you know, God just became this further and further and further away. And and suddenly I wake up and I go like, wow. Have you ever been there? You just wonder, where is God now? It's not because he left you. It's because we distance ourselves from him. The joy of the New Testament is this, is that Jesus says, I am with you always. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And even at that moment when I felt furthest away from God, I I had to be reminded he never left me. He's still there. I just spent so much time covering up his voice with other stuff, other interests, other agenda, right? I was seeking after things to satisfy my soul that weren't God. And it affected me, affected my relationships. And so here he says, he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him, gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. What a description of someone who was given the power of God And then he drifted away, he got on his own agenda, and then suddenly he found himself doing just a daily grind. Just going through, man, every single day seems like it's just a drudgery. You don't even want to wake up, it's just like, okay, one more day of the daily grind. And that was Samson. How sad. How sad. His strength was the Lord who was with him. But Samson didn't see how dependent he was on God's grace. Every bit of power that was given to Samson to do all those miraculous things that he abused, right, were actually given to him by God for a purpose, to bring the people of Israel back to faith, back to desiring God as their only God. Tim Keller says God's power is different. It depends on internal conditions, on a heart relationship 
with God. You see, the Philistines and Samson really believed that, Samson believed that the power was really his, not God's. And the Philistines, get this, they believed it was some magical potion or something, you know, woo out there that gave Samson his power. Find out the secret of the power. Now, what's interesting is that even as Christians, sometimes we can, we can believe that there's some magical incantation, we call it prayer, to move the hand of God, right? If I say it this way, when I, when I, when I was a little kid, I, I went to prayer meetings on Wednesday nights with my dad and mom, you know, and I, I tell you, that was a real experience in a Baptist church way back in the, back in the 60s, okay? But we, we kneeled down at the, at the front of the church, you know, on the steps. That was some magical place, I guess, that they thought it was. And so you had to be there, and then you had to pray. And then I, I would listen to the older guys pray, and they prayed in kind of the old King James, you know, and stuff. So I, I learned how to throw in the these and the thous, you know, because I thought, okay, that's the way it works, you know? And, and, and then they, they had certain phrases, certain, you know, th- that you, you would say it that way. And it's, oh, okay, that's the way you do it. And, and so sometimes as Christian believers, we think, oh, that's the way you get God to work. You say it this way at this time, at this place. And if we do the magical things on, and all the incantations that we've got here in the Bible, if we, if we do it that way, then it's going to happen. No. <laughs> Just no. It, it, it's, God didn't give us the Bible as a, as a recipe book, you know? To, okay, if you need this, then you've got to do this. And then God has to do what you say or has to do what you want, right? It's like God is beholding to us because of what we did or what we said or how we did it or how we said it. It's not true. It's all grace. It's all a gift. And you know what? The only thing that you really need is what? Is God. That's it. If you learn nothing else, right? I mean, Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And what he was saying, remember what what had happened just before? Right? He says, let the children come to who? Come to me. If you just want to experience a loving life that God longs for you to experience, just sit with Jesus. Just sit with Jesus. Just get on his lap. Let him hug you. Let him whisper in your ear, I love you so much. then you can just take a breath. Just go, oh, I'm loved. That's all I need. That's all we all need, right? Yeah, that's all we need. Let's pray together, okay? God, thank you. Remind us that you are all we need, our blessing, our strength to live, to navigate with confidence in this world is just based on our relationship with you. Help us to be satisfied 
knowing that we are so loved by you that we aren't tempted to think that we need something else, that we need somebody to do something for us, that we need a certain amount of money or a position or power or a job or whatever we think we need to make us happy today. God, help us to strip all that away and to once again rest in you. You are our life. You are our love. God, thank you that you love us so, so deeply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.